0: Welcome back to the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, jb 3 As you can see, again, I am outside, which I am realizing more and more, it is a lot easier for me to record a podcast episode if I'm inspired by the things around me or if I'm disconnected from the things that I'm typically um, associated with, i.e. work. I tend to record in the same place that I work. And right now, that's just not working for me. Something that I want to bring up today as we dig into the episode is really just like this notion of identity and creativity, because something happened to me over the last few weeks that I have to raise as a challenge. And what happened was I was locked out of my LinkedIn account. And it's really weird, right? It's it's something that you would think of as relatively superficial, but it has pretty significant impact on who you are as an individual. I realized I've had LinkedIn now since like the early 2000s. I mean, back when I was an undergrad, didn't even have a real job. I had a LinkedIn. Think about that. And I have realized over time I've curated this this page and this presence and people have gotten to know me. I've gotten to know others. And I've really built a network over the last decade or so that I really feel like is a part of who I am. It's a part of my identity. And so, see, one day I logged on and I didn't have access and it really bothered me. And it was like, what what's going on? It said that I had been restricted out of my account and it just didn't make sense. And I started to dig around. I started to look at other places. I was on Reddit. I was on Twitter. I'm like, has anybody else experienced this this weird outcome with LinkedIn? Because it was something that I could not predict and I didn't expect. Fast forward they start to allow you to verify your identity. I'm frustrated. I'm like, what the hell do I have to I verify my identity for when I'm clearly the person who's on the account? There's actually a one-to-one matchup of my Google email account picture and the picture that was on my LinkedIn page. Turns out that my page had been hacked. And I'm looking at who I'm supposed to be. And there's this picture of an Asian woman who went to school at Stanford. I mean, Okay, school, I guess. But it was out of the norm. It wasn't who I was. And they changed all these different credentials. But there were a lot of things that were still the same. It talked about community engagement and collaboration, program evaluation, all things that I do. And so I'm literally looking at who I'm supposed to be online and it's gone and I don't have access to it. And I'm talking to my wife, I'm talking to my sister and other colleagues and say, hey, can you look me up on LinkedIn? And after a while, they couldn't even find me. And it's devastating because, of, again, how much work has gone into creating this person online who's reflective of who I am. Fast forward a few more days. I'm sending in verification proof of who I am. So that includes my passport. That includes my driver's license. And I was still rejected. It said I I had violated community agreements within LinkedIn. I'm like, wow, like of all people, maybe I, I will rouse people up a little bit. I may say things that may piss people off, but I feel like that's part of who I am, part of what an influencer does, a creator. You're supposed to create what is necessary in the moment. Again, I didn't do these things on LinkedIn, though, that would cause anyone to shut down my account for a variety of reasons. So I've done this multiple times. And again, I'm back on social media. I'm looking things up. And I noticed this trend where other people, particularly folks over in the India area, were not able to access their account. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So in comes Reddit, one of my favorite social media tools. And they talk about using the Better Business Bureau as a mechanism for getting LinkedIn's attention. And by this point, I've actually gone ahead and I've created a new LinkedIn account. I wrote this Medium article about grief and loss and how it feels when your identity is taken from you and you have to rebuild. And... I forwarded to my sister and I said, hey, can you open this for me? And that page didn't exist. I had been locked out of two accounts that were clearly me. Frustrating. After filing a complaint with the Better Business Bureau, I found myself able to finally talk to someone. And they said, hey, you know, we've seen this quite a bit. LinkedIn has sent us a message back saying, oh, this is a bigger issue and we're going to have your account restored. 24 hours later my account was back and and I'm I'm grateful not to mention the fact that I was frustrated I was pissed off for quite some time but I was grateful and what I really came to realize is as a creator the access to resources is is so critical for getting your message out and so that Led me to doing a bit of digging around creators of color and some of the obstacles that they may encounter. Because realizing that if I don't have access to my LinkedIn, people can't access my content. I had just released the last episode, and it just felt like another barrier in the way of me trying to produce this message and make sure that people know who I am, what I stand for, my principles and my values, and. This apparently is a common thread among creatives of color. And it wouldn't be equity matters if we didn't talk about these type of inequities and disparities that may show up. What we encounter in this space is that communities and creators of color still experience disparate access to the things that they need. And as I'm doing research, I'm seeing that even brand deals are disproportionately given to white creators. And the thing that really Brought my attention to this was a post on Twitter where they said, oh, my God, this great hack. And there was a white woman who was using garbage bags to move and she would pull the garbage bags over her clothes and never had to take her clothes out. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, we've been doing this since like the early 2000s. I don't know if people did it before me, but in college, that was the way that we moved all our clothes without having to literally take things off the hanger. It doesn't make sense to me. But then you start to explore these broader issues, you start to look at it from a systemic lens, and you can clearly see the same disparities that exist outside of social media and outside of these type of brands that we build are going to be present. There's no way to escape it. And it's unfortunate because when I think about creativity, when I think about the importance of diversity The first thing that comes to mind is you have to have a variety of perspectives in the conversation. And if those conversations don't include those variety of perspectives, then it's not bringing the type of outcomes, the type of opportunities that you would expect. Or it's going to give you the exact opportunity that you expect. And it's going to be bland. It's not going to be tasteful. It's not going to give you the color that you're looking for using color intentionally there. What I really want to get across is, In experiencing this gap where I didn't have LinkedIn for like a month, I really started to spiral. I started to to spin around in a way that just didn't make sense because I didn't have access to the things that I needed in order to be successful, in order to share my message. And this goes out to all the other creators out there. If you are in a situation where you're producing content and you're not getting the likes, you're not getting the shares, you're not getting the deals that you so rightfully deserve, keep creating. I thought about when I didn't have access, stopping. I thought about putting everything on pause and I'm like, damn, I just got back. I just started recording again and it felt good. It felt like something that I missed. It's like, wow, I was getting back in my bag and they took my bag from me. Well, sure enough, being able to navigate the system in a way that we know how to do I was able to retrieve what was necessary, but also using this as an opportunity to say, hey, creators, keep doing your thing, like keep producing, keep generating. You take pictures, you you cook food, whatever it is that you do, do it. And I promise you, someone's going to see it because that's just the nature of the business. But realize that there are obstacles. Unfortunately, there are barriers that present themselves that get in the way of us doing what we want to do. So that's part one. Part two, I want to raise here is I watched the Montgomery Brawl, which admittedly, I watched it after I saw the memes, right? I didn't understand what was going on in the memes, but when I saw the actual video, like this, you all, is a moment. And I'm glad that I was able to finally understand why the folding chair was so significant. And I want to raise this idea that they tried it in a small town. Okay, Montgomery's not small. But my point is, as I'm observing the things that are going around, because I run into these stints where I feel like I can't make an episode because I just don't have any content. I don't have anything to talk about. Keep living. That's important. Realizing that there's so many things going on, you then become overwhelmed with content. You're overwhelmed with the things that you could discuss. And the moment where I'm able to freeze and look at content like what happened in Montgomery, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad I had that moment tried it in a small town. Brings me to point two, there is this misconception, this disconnect or as black parents will tell you what we not going to do is allow for the banning of black literature, um, black history, and then amplify things like try it in a small town, because the the issue is you can't have it both ways. You can't not talk about racism and then glorify racism in the same sentence. It just doesn't make sense. And I was recently given a presentation. And one of the questions that came up was from a colleague down in Florida who Made very clear, they're not allowed to do work around public health and equity or diversity, inclusion, all the things. And the challenge with that for me is you can't do good public health without talking about those things. And here in Michigan, we have I'm not going to get like full nerdy on you, but we have the benefit of the public health code, which says that we have a responsibility to do good public health work in order to save lives. I don't think anyone's legislature really understands the mechanisms or the mechanics of what it goes into program planning for any public health or any department for that matter. They're elected officials. They're there to represent their constituents. Absolutely true. I want them to do that very well. But when it comes to saving people's lives, you cannot go into any type of conversation without understanding the root causes that cause the disproportionate impact to specific communities. There's just no way that I can create a program that's going to be successful, that's going to benefit people truly if I don't dig deep into root causes. And me, I'm unapologetically going to say racism is typically a root cause of inequity, no matter how you slice it. If you want to talk about institutional racism, if you want to talk about redlining, if you want to talk about communities being pushed out of what they know as home, where their support systems are, all of those things go back to this idea that one group is superior than another. And at its root, that is, in fact, racism. And what we cannot do, and as I started already, what we're not going to do is act like it doesn't exist because we simply can't. We can't afford to do that. Good public health is expensive, but good public health is also preventative. And anyone that knows prevention is typically what's not funded. We're typically on the back end. We're typically in a place where we're saying these terrible things have happened and now we need to fix it. I want to get out of that because I want to get out of this constant trauma of, oh, my God, all these terrible things have happened. We didn't have enough money to fix it. It's so frustrating. It's, it's, it's disturbing. It's unfortunate. And we have a real opportunity as we emerge from what was the covid-19 pandemic. Don't let anyone trick you into believing that COVID-19 is gone. But as we emerge out of this space, we have to pause for a second and look around and say, do we want the next pandemic to be this same way? After years and years and years of underfunding, are we going to continue to operate in the same model? That's the decision for all of us to make. Because we can do better. There's opportunity for innovation. There's opportunity to sustain things that have worked long enough but have been on the cusp for cutoffs. We got an opportunity and we have to take it. And so that that brings me to part two. We have to stop doing the things that we've always done because we've always done them if it's not working. I didn't want to take too much time because I've only got a little bit of sunlight. I still want to take some pictures while I'm out here. It's a beautiful garden out here near where I live. So until next time, folks. Well, actually, the next time you see me, I'll be a father of four because I'm not recording another episode before then. But I hope that you all are well. It's good to talk to you even for a brief moment. You already know how I feel, what I'm about to say. Equity Matters.